Hey everybody, it's Britt, lead pastor at Sunridge. Welcome or welcome back to our teaching podcast. You know, we are on a mission here at Sunridge to help people find and follow Jesus. We believe in the good news that Jesus welcomes all regardless of how far you feel from God. That means we're a great starting point to explore Christianity or to sink your spiritual roots deep as a devoted Jesus follower. We want you to know that during COVID, we're holding one big service outdoors and we'd love for you to join us whenever you can. And now, here's our teaching for this week. We hope it leads you to encounter the way of Jesus more fully. Well, hey, everybody. If you don't know me, my name's Britt. I'm one of the pastors here at Sunridge, and it's my privilege to just be talking to you today a little bit from the Bible. I want to remind all of you who call Sunridge home that uh, on April 18th, we're going to be uh, re-entering our facility and you know all the details of that are coming out in various forms so I won't uh, take the time to do that now but we're super excited about that. We're also really pumped about our uh, outdoor uh, sunrise service uh, obviously on Easter morning and uh, I, as far as I know it's like the first time Sunridge has ever done that and so that is just going to be so cool. We're going to have uh, burritos and an egg hunt, and of course, we're going to gather uh, to worship our Lord. If you're just listening and you're in the area li- uh, looking for a church, you should just know that Sunridge is a place where uh, we seek to grow together no matter where you're starting from. So you're always welcome. Thanks for listening to this podcast or watching it online. And uh, we invite you to uh, join us for one big outdoor service at 1030 on Sunday mornings until April 18th. We're in a series right now that we've called The Way of Resurrection, or The Way of Redemption, I'm sorry. And uh, it's just our way of focusing on this season and uh, what the resurrection means to us as believers and of course to the world. And uh, this message today drops on Palm Sunday. This is uh, Palm Sunday weekend. You know, the tradition of Palm Sunday kicks off what over the centuries has been called Holy Week, an observation that dates as early as uh, the 300s. In fact, there's, there are documents that have been discovered that show that Christians were visiting uh, Jerusalem as early as the 4th century, uh, and that's kind of now become, you know, a view that... Um, that this is kind of like the first Holy Week. So it goes way back to then. And it's just a tradition that helps us focus our attention on the last week of Jesus's life here on earth that led to his torture and his execution. But you know that that's not the end of the story and it's certainly not the entire story. Jesus's execution on the cross was not just a misfortunate occurrence. Instead, it's evidence of the intentional and eternal plan of God to redeem humanity. And it stands as the ultimate proof of God's love. You know, over the centuries, Holy Week has, has evolved into what, are a five, what is a five-day observance. And they're all taken from the gospel records of the last week of Jesus' life. So, number one, there's something called Monday Thursday. And Monday comes from the Latin word, which means command. Uh, because after Jesus washed the disciples' feet in John 13, he said, A new command I give you. Love one another as I've loved you, so you must love one another. And that's why some traditions still hold a foot washing service on Thursday of Holy Week. Number two is Good Friday, and that's set aside to remember the crucifixion of Jesus. I know that calling it good is weird, 
In fact, I, uh, in years past, I did a message on Good Friday that, that began with Good Friday, what's so good about it? And uh, although it's horrific, it is good, very good, supremely good, because through his death, Jesus took on our sins, allowing himself as the Son of God to hang on the cross. And it was his death that made the good news possible. Thank God for that. Our Good Friday service this year is at 7 p.m. And we'll have Stations of the Cross that you can go through beginning in the afternoon leading right up to that service. Thirdly, there's a Holy Saturday. And that's the day before Easter. It marks the hours that Jesus spent in the tomb. And, and it's traditional to, uh, to observe that through uh, silence and sometimes abstinence from certain things because after the trauma of Friday, the disciples awoke to the ongoing reality that their Lord was dead. They were afraid for their lives. They were full of doubt, despondent, and without hope. And it even appears that some abandoned their faith for this short time. Fourthly, uh, there's Easter Sunday, which doesn't mean need much explaining. So come back next week uh, for that. Uh, sunrise service, an egg hunt, and breakfast burritos for all. I just want to advise you that it won't be from the same eggs that we've hidden. But it all starts with Palm Sunday this weekend, and that's what we're talking about. So what is Palm Sunday, and how did it get that name? It actually comes from, it's mentioned in uh, all four of the Gospels. And uh, it's, so we're going to read from Mark's, uh, which is recognized as the earliest of the four biographies of Jesus. I'm reading from Mark 11.1 1 from the New Living Translation. As Jesus and his disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the towns of Bethphage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Go into that village over there, he told them. As soon as you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks, what are you doing? Just say, the Lord needs it and will return it soon. The two disciples left and found the colt standing in the street tied outside the front door. And as they were untying it, some bystanders demanded, what are you doing untying that colt? They said what Jesus had told them to say, and they were permitted to take it. Then they brought the colt to Jesus, threw their garments over it, and he sat on it. Continuing in verse 8, Many in the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and others spread leafy branches they had cut in the fields. Jesus was in the center of the procession, and the people all around him were shouting, Praise God, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessings on the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Praise God in highest heaven. Wow, that's quite an entrance. So what was it about Palm Sunday that made it such a big deal? These are in your notes. Number one, it's the first time Jesus has visited Jerusalem since he began his public ministry. You know, even those that didn't believe or had not yet heard of him saw this as a significant event to be noted. Jesus is a new rabbi known for performing miracles, even raising the dead, and he's championed the causes of the poor, the marginalized, women. He's revolutionary in that way, and his teaching is engaging and compassionate and many times subversive to the Pharisees and wildly popular with regular people, even the unreligious. And by now, he's likely to have thousands 
of followers, and many have pinned their hopes on him. And they expect that he will be the one to lead a revolution, freeing the Jews from Rome and usher in a new version of the Jewish faith. Secondly, it's a big deal because it was Passover and the city is buzzing with people all come to celebrate this most celebrated of Jewish events. Literally thousands of people have pilgrimaged here here, and the streets are just filled with energy from all the crowds. You know, Passover is the tradition that celebrates how God led the children of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. Think about the 10 plagues, the parting of the Red Sea, the freedom of the Hebrew people, launching them ultimately into their own land and history. Think 4th of July here in the USA. And then finally, number three, everything that Jesus was about was leading him to Jerusalem. Everything that he's teaching, everything he had come to do was moving him toward Jerusalem and what would happen there. Jesus had been telling them everything was leading to this moment. In fact, last Sunday, Jed talked about how Jesus set his face. That's the literal translation of uh, Luke 9.15. He set his face toward Jerusalem. Luke 9.51, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Literally, he set his face, and that's where we get the phrase, setting your face toward something. If you just continue to read through Luke's account, you see Jesus' focus on going to Jerusalem. Luke 10, 38, as Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem. In chapter 13, verse 22, Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he went, always pressing on toward Jerusalem. And then later in chapter 18, Jesus made it clear that when he got there, He wasn't going to be or do exactly what everyone thought. In Luke 18, 31, uh, Luke tells us that taking the 12 disciples aside, Jesus said, listen, we're going up to Jerusalem where all the predictions of the prophets concerning the Son of Man will come true. He will be handed over to the Romans and he will be mocked, treated shamefully and spit upon. And they will flog him with a whip and kill him. But on the third day, he will rise again. And in verse 34, but they didn't understand any of this. The significance of his words was hidden from them and they failed to grasp what he was talking about. This is why this moment, Palm Sunday, is such a big deal because Jesus had focused on this moment that would take place in Jerusalem his entire life. In fact, his life had a single mission in life, to give his life. So that's why we're still talking about Palm Sunday 2,000 years later. It's the beginning of Holy Week, the most important week in the history of the human race, certainly in Christianity, because of what would happen there. Now let's talk a little bit about how Jesus made his entry into the city and what it says about his purposes. We're going to look at his entrance, the people's response, and Jesus' first actions. First, his entrance. As we read in Mark just now, Jesus is getting closer to Jerusalem. Bethany is just two miles away from the city with Bethphage about a half a mile away. And on the horizon, you can see the Mount of Olives with its peak of 2,600 feet just east of Jerusalem. And as they begin to see that landmark 
Jesus sends ahead two to procure a young donkey, which is a cult. Since it had not been ridden, it was suitable for a king, since no one but a king was to ride a king's horse. And then in verse 3, the reason for taking it, the Lord needs it, invokes a custom in which a, a person of significance, most commonly an officer from the Roman government, could take possession of someone else's property or require them to perform a task. Jesus talks about this in other sections of scripture. This tells us that Jesus' notoriety has spread to this point that he's a respected figure because that remark that the Lord needs it is sufficient for the disciples to secure the animal. And then they throw their garments over it for Jesus to sit upon, which is an act of coronation for a king. And Jesus rode into the city, whereas pilgrims were supposed to walk. So what you should know that as Jesus entered the city, uh, he entered it in exactly the way the prophet Zechariah predicted in 9.9 of his prophecy that the Messiah King would come into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. And this shows that Jesus intended to be noticed and riding his donkey was a sign of his kingship. So Jesus entered the city as a king. That's how he entered Jerusalem. Number two, how did the people respond to this? In verse eight, many in the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him and others spread leafy branches they had cut in the field. So this laying down of their coats and palm branches, they are essentially giving him the red carpet treatment. And then in verse nine, Jesus was in the center of the profession, uh, procession And the people all around him were shouting, praise God, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord, blessing on the coming kingdom of our ancestor David, praise God in the highest heaven. Jesus is the center of this procession. If it's the rose parade, he's the float that everyone's been waiting to see. And they are elated and shouting with joy, Hosanna, Praise God, which is literally save now. That phrase can be both an expression of praise or the cry of a prayer. Who comes in the name of the Lord, which is an allusion to Psalm 118.26, which welcomes an honored leader who approaches the temple. And the reference to being of King David's ancestry indicates that Jesus is the fulfillment of the coming of the delivering king, the arrival of the messianic promise. So how do the people respond? The people are raving fans of Jesus at this point. And it's no wonder. They've pinned their hopes on him for all they hope he will do and what he can give them. They wanted the miracles and the healing. They wanted food and housing and opportunity. They wanted the good life with a family and marriage and kids and grandkids. And they wanted him to lead an insurrection and break Rome's iron grip. That's how the people respond. So how does Jesus, what does Jesus do once he arrives in Jerusalem? Verse 11, so Jesus came to Jerusalem and went into the temple and after looking around carefully at everything, he left because it was late in the afternoon. Then he returned to Bethany with the 12 disciples. It seems like Jesus is kind of just scoping things out here, right? First, he visits the temple and takes a look around, but then he leaves because it's late. And he and his 
group of disciples returned to Bethany, about two miles away from the city. So that tells you that the inns in Jerusalem are full. And so they have to travel that far just to find um, uh, a vacancy. It's interesting to me, the details that Mark includes here. Then the next morning, Mark tells us that on the way in, Jesus curses a fig tree. And that is his last miracle in Mark's gospel. And it's sort of a reverse miracle. All others that seem to be a blessing, this miracle being a curse. And most scholars, even though they debate this, uh, believe that this is a sign that Israel will be judged for their lack of fruit because their religion at this time had no life in it. It was dead. And so this may be a sign of things to come, as you will see. If we keep reading, Jesus enters the city and he returns to the temple. In verse 15, on reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. Then he teaches, as he taught them, he said, Is it not written? My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. If you recall previously, I talked about how sermon outlines are constructed. This is his introduction, the way he catches people's attention and says, you know, this is why you should listen to me. He flips tables and then he says, this place is holy and you guys have made it a den of thieves. Just think about how if I entered church and introduced my sermon that way. Not what we would have expected, right? No parade now. So how did that play? In verse 18, the chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him. For they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teachings. So in other words, he had some fans and some hated it We've seen his entrance now, and we've seen the people's response. But what was Jesus' first action? Jesus goes straight to the temple and clears it out. And we can't miss how significant and how upsetting this must have been to those that were there at that time. Because the temple is the center of worship for Israel. It's a sacred place. It started in the days of Moses as just a tent or a tabernacle. And during Jesus' day, the temple was where you came to worship God. People would bring their sacrifices. They would confess their sin and leave cleansed and forgiven. The temple itself was first built in Jerusalem by Solomon, and then it was reconstructed during the time of Haggai, and then later it was expanded by King Herod. And though it was destroyed by the Romans in AD 70, parts of it still survive. So if you... Uh, have ever heard of the wailing, uh, I'm sorry, the wailing wall, if you've seen it on the news or a picture of it, that is the last remaining part of the temple from Jesus's day. And that's why that location is so revered. Jesus entered this holy place and turned over tables and then gave his hearers a message like they've never heard it before, never heard before. And they needed it. Why? Because as people came to Jerusalem for Passover, they needed animals that met qualifications for sacrifice. But because 
most of them have traveled from so far. They couldn't bring animals along from home. So an entire cottage industry has arisen for all the right reasons at first, but they were taking advantage of the situation and the worshipers. See, vendors are there to sell animals for sacrifice. Think, think like swap meat. And because people would bring along a monetary gift to the temple or for the poor, there were also vendors there exchanging currency because their gifts needed to be in the local currency. So all of that makes sense, right? But not only are these buyers and sellers inflating the price of animals, but they are gouging people by charging ridiculously high rates in the currency exchange. Sometimes supply and demand is not the best model. But worse, they were set up right in the, inner, or the outer court of the temple where Jew and Gentile could come and worship and pray. So this is more than just crass capitalism. It's cheapening the worship itself. And so what was supposed to happen, what was happening, had lost all sense of what it was truly for. This was supposed to be a place of worship. It was for sacred activities. Now you would think that the religious leaders of that time would have done something about it. But they didn't. Actually, they were complicit in the whole matter because they were getting kickbacks. It had become corrupt, the entire enchilada. And evidently, it all felt normal to the vendors, even to the worshipers and to the spiritual leaders. And what does Jesus do about it? He confronts it. And not nicely either. He overturned tables. He blocked them from bringing their wares through the through the courtyard, and he preached a sermon that was really hellfire and brimstone. By the way, this is great cardio, right? It's almost like Jesus did a wad, and then he preached. And so, they all lived happily ever after, right? They all responded in repentance and changed their lives. Not. Verse 18, the chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this, and began looking for a way to kill him for they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. So evidently some people enjoyed the show, but some people didn't. Jesus is calling out the syncretism of that day, the mixing of other things into the pure worship of God. And of course, the gospel today. He re reset the bar in a way. A modernized version would read like this, worship of God must remain completely separate from profit, from politics, and from personal agenda. That belongs out there, not just outside the building, but out of our hearts as well. It's important to see that all of these events take place on what is known today as Palm Sunday. So for all of Jesus' followers, there are those moments when celebration turns to consternation. Are you with me? And it's these moments that can be life-altering decision points. Can you see what's happening here? Can you see the people's responses, the varied responses that they have? And each of them get to, in a way, choose their own adventure. See, it's, it's easy to celebrate 
Jesus at the parade. The one who comforts me, who heals me. The one who promises me a good life, respect, a happy marriage, well-behaved, immoral children. The Jesus who votes just like me. The Jesus who relieves my anxiety. The comfy, cozy Jesus that even when I stumble or even when I choose to go the wrong way, he forgives me. That Jesus is easy to believe in. He's easy to live with and welcome into my heart. I can't wait to wave my palm frond for the parade of Jesus. But you know, there's not just the parade Jesus here. There's the Jesus that enters our temple, our real place of worship, our holy place. And by that I mean our inner life. And he means our hearts. He means to clean up our hearts. And he has one agenda when he's in there, to make us like him, to be transformed, not just cleaned up, not just more respectable, but reshaped from the inside out. Are we going to welcome that Jesus? The one who asks questions, who invites us to follow him? Are we going to welcome the Jesus who wants to address our sex life, how we spend money, how we treat our spouse, what we do on Sunday morning, our work ethic, what we look at online, what we post online, the Jesus who wants to address how we treat those who are weaker than us, those without the same opportunity than us, who wants to address how we feel about immigrants and if we love our enemy? Are we welcoming the Jesus that wants us to ask us questions, questions about our moral expediency, our inconsistency? Who wants to ask us why we call him Lord, but we're still the center of our universe, really? Who wants to ask us why our wallet means more to us than anything else? Who wants to ask us why we'll wear a mask to Costco or to our job, but we make a big deal out of wearing one to our church. The one who wants to ask us about how we talk about how essential church is while not engaging in the place that we call our church home. Why we spend so much time talking about what we believe instead of living it. Who will ask us if we harbor racist attitudes deep in our heart even though we mask them? Who will ask us why we care more about our political views than the gospel and why we would rather speak out than reach out? Am I turning your table over right now? Listen, we can't just be parade watchers. I have to say this to you, to me, to all of us, because I know that the parade Jesus and the temple Jesus shows up. Do we love the parade Jesus, but the temple Jesus not so much? Most of us have laid down our palm branches, but will we lay down our hearts as well? 
It was as if Jesus was saying, if you want to lay down your palm branches before me, then understand that means laying down your life in front of me as well. If you want to invite me into your life, then you need to realize you have to invite all of me into all of your life. If you want me in your life, I'm going to enter your city, but I'm going to make my way into your temple too, the temple of your body, your heart. And when I'm there, I'm going to do some house cleaning. And I'm not going to let you store all your other stuff in my place. It has to go. All of it. I'm going to overturn the tables in your heart. I'm going to chase some things out of here, grab it by the ear and say, out you go, mister. I'm going to set up some blockades to the things that you've been allowing to travel straight through your thoughts and your heart and your life. And I'm going to tell it that don't go around here. Savvy? By the way, that's two tombstone references in less than a minute. Give it up for tombstone. Best Western ever. Maybe a close second is the outlaw Josie Wales. You know, hasn't there been a time when you've seen your celebration turn to consternation as you try to follow Jesus? Haven't you ever just like, if not said it out loud, you've just thought, really, Jesus, that has to go? You're going to make me do this? You're going to give me this? You want me to love that person the way they are? You want me to invest my marriage, and yet I'm so done Someone told me I'm a slacker at my job and you're saying to me, yeah, that's true. You need to step it up. Has Jesus ever said to you, hey, you should slow down so you can catch up to me. Our celebration turns to consternation when Jesus says to us, turn off the TV or the radio or that device so that you can hear my voice. He says to us, you should look inside your heart and see who you're becoming. And you should look around you and see the people and the things that are making you become that. That's when celebration turns to consternation. You know, the same crowd that shouted Hosanna at Jesus' arrival in the city just a few days later cried, crucify him. The same crowd. The question is, what are we going to be shouting as Jesus makes his way into our temples? Will it be crucify him? Will we become angry and critical and continue to be self-indulged? Or will we welcome him in those uncomfortable spaces with Hosanna, praise the one who comes in the name of the Lord. See, Jesus must be the center of the parade even after he's turned our tables over. You know what I've noticed in my life that when I go from celebration to consternation and I wrestle with those things that 
that God has pointed out to me that are so difficult in that consternation, if I respond to that and I cultivate through the Holy Spirit the things that God is trying to teach me in that moment and I allow them to settle on me, you know, that leads me to celebration once again. And that is entirely why Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. This is the way of Jesus and it is the way of redemption. Let me pray. God, we invite your son, Jesus, to step into our hearts and to cleanse our temples. Even if it means flipping some tables over, there are things that we know that we've got stored way in the back. Some of us have it just like piling out the front door. It's just stuff that we need to clean out. Some of it's good or all right. Some of it's bad. But we want to give you fully our hearts and invite you to not just be part of the parade and celebration in our lives, but to look deep inside of our hearts, the holy places, and transform us. We invite you to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Sunridge. Thank you, guests. Looking forward to meeting you on Sunday or seeing you guys back. We'll see you soon. Hey, everybody, it's Britt again. Thanks for listening. If you need help with something, if you have a question, or you'd just like us to pray for you, you can reach us through email, info at sunridgechurch.org. Or if you'd like to know more about us, just go to our website, sunridgechurch.org, and you'll know what to do from there. We hope you'll listen in again next week. But in the meantime, wherever you go, deepen faith, bring hope, and live love.